aggression is one of the last dirty words in our culture. You can be crass, you can be rude, you can even be profane, but ho, oh, aggressive, don't be aggressive, except it's wrong, dead wrong. I promise you nothing of meaning and transcendence will come into your life passively. It's time for you to get into the arena to push back against a passive, mediocre existence. I'm Brian Tome, and this is The Aggressive Life. I want to win. There, I said it. I said it. Uh, God hasn't stricken me dead. I know that's a really, really dirty phrase to say, especially if you're a pastor by day. But I'll say it again. I want to win. And I hope you do too. I'll tell you what our problem is. We poo-poo competition. We think it's evil to compete. We think it's unloving to try to win. We think everybody should get participation trophies and nobody should actually feel better that they did better than somebody else. Wrong, wrong, wrong. That's exactly the kind of passive nirvana that people want to exist and it just isn't real. You have a better life because you make a better life. You have a better life because you push for a better life. You have a better relationship with God because you want a better relationship with God and you push for a better relationship with God, not because you're sitting around waiting for him to dip his little sugar finger in the drink of your life and make everything be all sweet. Competition. Winning. I like it. I like it a lot. And you should like it too. And we're going to learn from somebody who is a competition guru, a winning guru. We're going to learn from somebody who's learned to compete on the football field and has needed to also compete in a UFC ring and has also needed to compete in the boardroom of corporate America and has needed to compete in his marriage and many, many other places. we got a lot to learn from him today. We have Anthony Munoz. He played in the NFL for 13 years, the Cincinnati Bengals. He played in two Super Bowls. He won the Rose Bowl with USC. He's in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. In fact, he was the first Cincinnati Bengal to make it in. And unlike a lot of guys, he didn't just mail it in once he hung up his cleats. He's been running the Anthony Munoz Foundation for 17 years now, working with 2,500 to 3,000 kids a year. Among other things, he's been successful and impactful both on and off the field, and he's got some things to teach us today. Welcome, Anthony Munoz. Brian, thanks for having me. This is great. Um, appreciate the opportunity. Well, it's a pleasure. I, uh, I grew up in Pittsburgh, so I don't have a natural biological bent towards all things Cincinnati. I knew long before I ever became a fan of Cincinnati and the Bengals that you were like the top, top echelon in the NFL and linemen. Not just top, top to get the Hall of Fame, of course, but like there are people who would say, like, you're the, you're the best tackle ever, mm. ever. Why is that? What do you think it is about you, your approach to life, your approach to football, your mentality, your DNA, your balance, what, what, whatever it is, what's the concoction that came together that enabled you to excel in, at a position that other people have struggled with? What do you think it was that came together to enable you to do what you've done? 
Well, first of all, I mean, when I hear those comments, it's very humbling because I, I think of the guys that played. I mean, the John Hannas, the Forrest Gregg, Art Shells, and you go on and on. And to just be mentioned with those guys is amazing. Um, I, I think really I was blessed with athleticism. You know, baseball was my first love growing up as a kid in Southern California. I was going to be a major league baseball player. I started at the age of six. I have two older brothers, two years older, eight years, and I was competing with them at seven, eight years old. Uh, and that was my lifetime dream. So I fast forward to high school. I was a, a three-year All-State at third base. My uh, senior year, I'm playing third base at 6'6", 275 pounds. <laughs> now, there That's was, a hot <laughs> corner right there. Well, they're slow. And then there's me running the bases. I, hit, I had to hit the ball twice as far to get around the bases. <laughs> but put me in that little area as a third baseman, nobody could bunt on me. It, you know, so I know that it was just a God-given talent, flexibility, uh, being able to move forward, backwards, kind of a, you know. But my running was very, very slow. And I think having played football, basketball, and baseball in high school all four years, I really believe got me prepared once I got to USC and now – pretty much full-time offensive lineman. On the basketball court at 275, I was having to guard guys that were 170, 180. Well, it's all about sitting down and moving your feet. Third base, sitting down and moving your feet. Pass pro, sit down and move your feet. Run blocking, your feet, explosion. So I'm, I'm really a firm believer that young individuals should play multiple sports. I think it's getting too specialized. So that's where I I give that a lot of credit for me being able to excel. And then just the examples I had of what work ethic, preparation, responsibility, I share all the time. My mom raised five kids by herself working two, three jobs. I mean, she'd head out at 6 in the morning walking to work, get home at 5, 5.30, make dinner. And she didn't have to verbalize work ethic or responsibility. All we had to do was watch her. We learned how to cook and wash clothes and iron clothes and so she taught us a lot, and I think I really believe that carried over. Just thinking about mom and what she went through, uh, you know, she did not quit. She was fighting for us and for herself. And then later on in life, when I was playing in the NFL, she was struck with uh, uh, rheumatoid arthritis. So that was very, very tough on her, very painful. So it was one of those um, just preparation, over-preparing. Pre- uh, if the coach gives you this much lifting, I'm going to lift that much more. If he gives you this running, I'm going to run that much more because right or wrong, true or false, I was going to be in better shape than the guy that I was playing against. Fourth quarter, if we had to go 80 yards to win the game, the guy was not going to be able to stand up against me. Mm-hmm. That was what I believed, and yeah. that's the attitude I had. I wonder if there's a scene from your life that I've never heard you talk about and I've never heard anyone talk about but we're going to talk about it. All right. <laughs> you entered a UFC fight. <laughs> You're laughing already. You, you, you entered, uh, here's my perspective. I'll, I'll, give the, I'll give the highlights from what I know, and then I'd like you to fill in the details. So you entered a UFC fight against, who was it against? I don't remember. Dexter Manley. Dexter Manley. When you entered that, I just thought, this... <laughs> This this almost computes, but it doesn't compute. Like the one side of it was like, well, this makes sense. This guy likes contact. You don't get in football unless you like aggressive things, unless you right. like contact. There's a, there's a piece of that that dies. I mean, I, I stopped playing in high school because I wasn't good enough to play past high school, and there was a piece of me that died. There was a there was a weeping that I found that men do their last football game or the last practice because they realize. This physicality, this camaraderie, whatever it is, I'm never going to get that again. Exactly. So on one one sense, it made sense. On the other side, it was like, 
you, you're known as really the most moral person in any room. You really are. You're known as the most moral person in any room. I've talked with former Bengals that said you had a, a positive aura around you when you were in the locker room that was just a, boy, this, this, is, a, this is a big Bible word, but um, I'll use it, a, a palpable holiness. Hmm. And that's my phrase, not theirs. What I mean by palpable holiness is not just high moral standards, which you do have, but you know, holiness means distinct, separate, set apart. There was just something different about you. So I was trying to reconcile like the physical thing with the holy thing, taking on Dexter Manley. So talk, what, what, why did you do that? What, what took place well, back first there? of all, I mean, it, and I appreciate those kind words from teammates. It was just, I thank God for that. I mean, you know, the Holy Spirit to me, my faith in Christ, very, very important. And I wanted, even in the arena of pro football, I wanted to make sure that I represented Christ and I was the ambassador that I, I needed to be and I should be. So that's, I mean, that was just me. And that's, I came into the league that way and I'm, I'm you know, hopefully I'm still that way and I believe so. But, um, you know, it's interesting. You mentioned the physicality of, you know, the tough man competition. I mean, so you got a football player that, uh, you know, is pretty physical. But I was, I think I was about 42, 43, still in the uh, workout mode. I mean, I was running six miles a day, Sycamore High School every day. And I'm running six miles and I'm doing a lot of, you know, not as heavy weight, but I'm, I'm still working out. So I get a call from, uh, i never forget his name, Josh from Fox Sports. And uh, he says, hey, Anthony, Josh from Fox Sports, what are you up to? I said, nothing. I said, I'd worked for Fox my first several years out of the league. And he says, uh, let me run something by you, see if you're interested. And uh, he says, we're doing this uh, tough man competition down in St. Pete. We want to get 10 former AFC, 10 former NFC. We'll have those bouts. And then we'd like you to be the captain of the AFC. And then uh, we're thinking about getting Dexter Manley. He said, uh, we'll have these bouts. Regardless of what the record is with those 10 fights, it'll be you two will determine who wins AFC, NFC. <laughs> I said, I, Josh, I need to get back to you on this. I said, I feel good. Let me get back to you. So I call him back and I said, so, um, you know, what kind of, uh, kind of money are we talking here? You know, this is, uh, you know, I mean, I played football. I loved the game, but I, that was how I made my living. Yeah, and right. So we started to negotiate. And finally, I said, you know what? I got a guy in town. Used to do the tough man's down in Covington. I said, I can train. I got about a month and a half. I'll train with him. I still feel pretty good. I said, Josh, I'm in. I'm going to do it. So our daughter, Michelle, says, Dad, is that going to be like the WWF where it's all choreographed? And I said, no, it's not. And, uh, and some couple of friends said, you know, it's awfully nice of you to do that for charity. I said, well, I'm actually not. <laughs> doing it for cash. So, I'm doing it for Benjamin Franklin. Exactly. You know, and that was, uh, to me, it was more than that, just getting back in there. So I, I trained. The guy's name is Dave Caduli. He had a couple sons that played at the University of Cincinnati. And he was close friends with a couple of my line mate buddies. He trained them in a little gym in Covington. So I called him up. I said, Dave, I said, I got about a month and a half. I need you to train me. So five days a week for about five weeks, we are training in this little gym. And I mean, I'm loving it because it's just another form of workout for me. And, you know, I'd been running, so I was in pretty good shape. I'm li- now we're hitting the bag and we're doing all these drills. And, and he, every day we train, the first thing he would tell me, when you get in the ring, remember what we're doing here because you'll just want to go crazy. Right. <laughs> so I trained, I trained, and I felt, uh, you know, it was three rounds. People were like, just three rounds? That's it? I uh, said, yeah, I'm three rounds, one-minute rounds, and I'm thinking to myself, yeah, it's a just three, three one-minute rounds. Three huh? mo- so I got to the point after five weeks where Dave had me p- 
punching nonstop for like 15 straight rounds, one minute each with like 30-second rest between each one. And he says, we're not going to use a, a bench to sit down between rounds. You're going to stand up. So, I mean, I'm doing – I'm punching straight one minute, then we take a 30-second – so we're doing like 15 rounds. So I go down, and I mean, it is wild. I mean, I don't know if you've ever been to one yeah, of those. I mean, this is intense. I mean, oh. for, for our audience, they don't know. If you've never done boxing or wrestling, I did some boxing in high school. That is, I don't know what it is about oh. that, but it is not the same as run six miles, though I still can't no. believe you run six you, miles. Dude, what do you run six miles <laughs> not for? Anymore, not anymore. Life. Not Tell anymore. Not anymore. It, it ended. It ended. All right, okay. But, uh, and you can't call a timeout in that one minute. It's just like you got to get going. So... I did it, and, uh, you know, it, it was three one-minute rounds, but I tell you what, Brian, unbelievable. And not only the adrenaline and the emotion, but then those three rounds, I felt like I played two football games. Of course, I'm, you know, I'm much right. older then. Right. And you won? I won decision. You know, it's funny because I hit him, and he's kind of like, I, I said, I got him on the ropes. I got to put him on. My body saying, not, or my mind saying, knock him out. My body wouldn't go. My body really? would. Yeah. And uh, so that got well, you, the decision. You're, you're fatigued or you, you're, you, oh, couldn't, you couldn't I mean, put him done? What do you, you mean? You see, because all night we're having these 10 bouts of them and I'm going from the up and down to the ring because I'm the captain. So I think I might have worn myself out. Just oh, all, got it. But no, it was one of those things like in the third round, I, you know, I was punching and stuff and it's just maybe you get a little tense and you're not as relaxed because you know when you're in sports, the more relaxed, the further you hit a golf ball, the better you hit a softball, the better punch you have. So, uh, but it, it was uh, worth the experience. Uh, I took a buddy of mine down there and he's sitting ringside and he goes, I've known you for a lot of years. He said, I've never, ever seen that look in your eyes. Mm -hmm. He goes, I'm glad that that look does not <laughs> follow you around outside of the football field or this ring. And then the guy, it was interesting, so a year later. That warrior, that inner oh, warrior, that aggression, I, I that what, thing of aggression yeah. that we, doesn't have any place in our society anymore. Exactly, exactly. And I'm So the next year, I'm finishing up a golf tournament at Weatherington, and I'm driving my cart to the, to the car, and I, my phone rings, and it's an L.A. number. And I'm thinking... <laughs> So I answer it, and, hey, Anthony, this is Josh. And I go, Josh from Fox Sports? <laughs> he goes, what will it take you to get back, get you back to Tough Man 2? I said, the only thing it's going to take me, I'm going to get some popcorn, my remote, and I'll be watching it in my man cave. I'm, <laughs> he goes, come on, man, let's negotiate. I said, nope, I am finished, one and out. <laughs> That's, one and done. I kind of lost it for about six months. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what I love about that story, so many things. One thing is... <laughs> This is called the aggressive. Aggression has so many different ways it can take hold. It could be physical aggression. It can be um, spiritual aggression. You know, I'm going to pray for things that other people think couldn't be prayed for. I'm going to pray for it. It could be all kind of realms. But you just, I don't know, in one statement, you exhibited emotional aggression and financial aggression. You didn't have to say, well, I wanted to hear what the cash was. <laughs> I wanted to hear. I mean, that's. A lot of guys would just not say that. They would like, well, I just did it. They would, but you, you were financially motivated. There was some aggression there. That's, and you told us about it. That's pretty cool. Well, I mean, you know, it, it's one of those things where if you're going to do something and jeopardize your body, you want to make sure you get a couple <laughs> dollars. But uh, no, I mean, it's, uh, it wasn't like, hey, you know, send me the Brinks truck. But, uh, you know, if I'm going to do this in, uh, you know, at my age, you know, pay me some money because, you're make you're selling this. Absolutely, it's going right. to be a Super Bowl special. You're going to make some money. You're going to get you know advertisers to pay, and it's the same way. I mean, football players. People talk about athletes. All this money. Well, if the clubs are paying them that money, 
they're making a lot more money. That's exactly right. So, you know, and, and you're out there jeopardizing your body, you're in, but you're still doing something you love, and you know that there are uh, things that can happen, but that's fine. I mean, but, you know, if, if they're using these 10 bouts to make a lot of money, come on, share some of the money uh, because we're part of what uh, what's bringing it in for you. How about headaches, head trauma, CTE? You got any signs of that in your own self? I don't. Uh, I don't. I don't believe so. Now, my wife Dee Dee might think uh, different. <laughs> We've been married forty one years, but I, I really feel good. I mean, I because, <laughs> because you don't remember everything yeah, your yeah. wife says. Is yeah. that what you're saying? No, no. She, you know, <laughs> maybe the way I acted, but I said I've always been immature. So you know, yeah. forty one years. But no, I feel really good. I, I really do. But yeah, the the mental thing is. Uh, so I'm kind of torn. You know, with CTE. You know, being post concussed and all that because. I've been in the Hall of Fame for 21 years. We lose probably two to three guys a year that are anywhere from the age of 80 to 95. Now, they didn't have a whole lot of equipment, or the equipment they wore was not very good. Mm. And these guys are as sharp as a tack, the majority. I mean, you get your case now and then, now and then, but these guys are amazing. I mean, they remember everything. They can hold a great conversation. I was playing golf about and it's 15 before years. the helmet technology yeah, you're saying. I mean, yeah. and they're hitting just as hard. I mean, hitting with their head. So is it, and I understand guys are bigger, stronger, faster, but is there more to it that adds to this, like you know, this brain? Well, relationships, alcohol, drugs, hmm. steroids. I mean, these guys were, so that's my, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a doctor, but I look at guys that are experiencing these things, the big names that they're using as examples, large debt, multiple marriages, drugs, and you know steroids were involved. But then you have a guy like Ace Parker who play, who died at 95 when he was about 90, Bullet Bill Dudley, huh? Steelers right. way back right. when, and a couple other guys that were like 75 to 85. Chuck Bednarik. These people but are they, massive hitters. But they were playing in a golf tournament in front of us, and at that time I was like 35, 30. We couldn't stay up with them. Hmm. And then you talk to him. So I don't, I'm kind of so torn let me, let me, between the two. Let me recap what you're saying. So I've never thought about this. It was fascinating. You're saying that the great hitters, Night Train Lane, Bubba Smith, whomever, way back when, that whole generation didn't have CTE at all. The current crop, there is some level of, you know, we've, we've, we've refined our physical prowess a bit more. So bigger, stronger, faster. But. Yeah. You're saying there's other complicating issues, perhaps, that we're Again, doing in I'm, the modern I'm era. I'm not a doctor, yeah. but as I look at it, in my simple mind, I'm thinking, okay, this guy couldn't sleep at night. Tremendous debt. They're struggling with coming out of the limelight. I'm just saying the guys I'm around, and we have our occasional John Mackey, uh, Tommy McDonald, these guys that are in their 80s and 90s that you know are experienced that. But, um, again, I'm not a doctor. I don't have the research, statistical research in front of me or, to really prove that. But, um, but at least we should say, holistically, we're not living our lives in a healthy way, whether you're an NFL player or somebody else. Holistically, our attitudes are askew from the way God would have us. I agree. So I, I, I'm thankful that—, that soccer is gaining traction in our country. I think it's bright. There's a lot of kids who, when I was a youngster, were athletes, but there wasn't a soccer team and they couldn't be athletic. I'm, I'm thankful that lacrosse is coming up. Lacrosse is a great, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for a lot of things. And I'm also noticing that the growth of these sports, 
means that previously dominant sports like football are decreasing, baseball are decreasing. Um, some people would say, well, that's good because there's too many head injury, injuries and all that kind of stuff. Maybe we need to be getting rid of, getting rid of football. I've got a friend of mine who has a son who is just unbelievably athletic. Little guys, so unbelievably athletic. I'm like, dude, that, that kid is going to be amazing on the football field. And, oh, we're not going to, we're not going to put them in the football field. And they, they had the reason. Hey, right. that's every, every parents, exactly. every parents. Football is not for everyone. That's I mean, exactly yeah. right. But do you think we should be concerned about this? Because personally, I'm concerned. Personally, I don't like taking something out of culture that's been a healthy um, thing of aggression for young males. I don't like removing something that's been actually healthy and helpful for decades and decades and decades because now we're you know, concerned about something when there really hasn't been any long-term evidence I've seen of kids in high school having this problem. I'm, I'm really, really concerned. I'm hoping I got somebody in the Amen Choir here. Do I have a believer in the Amen Choir? Amen, amen brother. Amen. Statistically, lower extremity and head injuries in soccer and all those other sports much higher than football. Then you tackle football. Hmm. So my son-in-law, Luke, comes into my office. His, he started a new company. They're in our building. He comes in and he says, uh, Dad, his two older boys, I think getting ready to turn 10 and 8, he says, what do you think of youth tackle football? I said, it's not for everyone, but I think it's great. I think it's awesome. Not only do you get out there, you get to, you learn a lot about yourself. You learn a lot about other people. You, and aggression, I mean, you get to get out there and really find out a lot about yourself. At 9, 10 years old, you're putting all those pads on. They start practice next week. It's not going to be 45 degrees out there. That's right. So I said, and so they're, his two boys, my daughter and, and her uh, husband, two boys really, really want to play. So they're going to play. I would do it in a heartbeat all over again, knowing what I know, because of what I learned, who I was associated with, the lessons I learned, the things I learned about myself. And when you think you're tired, you think the, the tank is empty, and then all of a sudden, it's like, man, I still got quarter tank left. I can still push it. So the lessons that you learn in the game, the teamwork, I share the five guys I played with the majority of the time, and I think society should take notice. You had me from East L.A. Left guard was a hog farmer from Iowa. The center was a Polish guy, smart as you ever get from Wilkesbury, Pennsylvania. We did have another Latino at right guard from East L.A. And then our right tackle was a big six foot seven Texas from Lubbock, Texas. So, I mean, other than Max and I, you know, flour tortillas growing up, you know, <laughs> no similarities. But you have to come together to be successful and, and accomplish and execute and work together, man. It's, you know, we're not going to say, hey, you're from Iowa. I don't want to work from, with you. But it's like the camaraderie, the togetherness and working together is There's also, things, I think, a, there, uh, there's like um, there's like a, a, an acceptable abuse that you can accept when you're on a football team. I I got abused, man. I really did. I mean, we we didn't have water breaks. Seriously, uh, we had we had a, we had a parent one time uh, complain that we weren't taking enough water breaks. On this is 1981, 82. Okay. It's not yeah. like today people all have their waters and they're carrying around backpacked water. No, nothing. Yeah. And uh, someone complained that we weren't having enough water breaks, and our coach, this is two a days, chose that we would never have a water break all day. Trying to tell that that you could never. Now that guy's an idiot. He was. He, he was. A, but there was the, there was this culture of resiliency. This culture of learn to take grief from somebody. This culture of 
you're a nobody and you're going to put your face in the ground and do Alabama's. You're going to run because I said so. And I, I think that served me. It's not later why, on in life. Why am I, right. I'm just running. That's right. Why am I doing Oklahoma drill? Because that's football. Why that's am right. I, it, why am I doing bull in the ring? You know, it's like, but you're right. I mean, it's, it's one of those things where, I mean, it's just part of the game. And like I said, I mean, we used to love it. High school, we loved it. I mean, there was this water hose that you didn't want to drink out of it anyway because mm-hmm. you never knew how old it was or what was coming out of it if that was really water. So you just went the whole time. And I learned, you know, the cream stuff, the not real hot stuff? No. You put it. The roof of your mouth. Cream of jeans? You mean the, yeah, the, 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 the icy hot stuff? Yeah, icy hot you stuff. You put in the roof of your mouth for and, what? And you didn't need water because it kept your... your, <laughs> your oh my hey, it kept you moist, man. <laughs> if they're not going to give you water, go over to the trainer and go, I'm fine. I'm done. You know, I'll go a couple hours and I have some you know, moisture in there and I'll be good. That is so manly. But, uh, <laughs> Manly or a little uh, crazy, I don't know. <laughs> but I, th- I do think that as a culture, we're missing that. I think it's harder. I think it's easier to lead somebody in a business context who's been on a football field or in some athletic pursuit where there was a coach that was very, very, very difficult. And I, I'm just concerned that we're we're trying to eliminate difficulty in our culture. We're trying to you know, have everything be vacation Bible school, and it just, it it's not working for us. It's not working for me anyway. Or some constructive criticism. Hey, you don't respect me. <laughs> I mean, what do you mean? We're just trying to get you better. I mean, I was used to, you know, instant criticism, instant, you know, encouragement, instant feedback. I mean, if, you know, if we called it Nolan Ryan. If you know hit a guy, you're not going to say, hey, that's an okay block. Coach is going to say, you know, he's going to get after you. Yeah. And right away, you knew exactly why you missed a guy, well, how you changed your technique. And now it's like, you know, I don't know. It's one of those things, like I just said at the beginning, if you give constructive criticism, you don't respect me. How do you expect to get better? Yeah. So tell me how your faith ties into this. You've got a pretty, it sounds like a pretty macho worldview, um, some would say. And some would also say, yeah, but that's a man of faith. I thought faith and that stuff didn't coincide. How does it, how does it coincide for you? Well, a short verse that I've always loved, Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do, do it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not man. He doesn't say, as a football player, give it all your heart. As a husband, go half-heartedly. He tells us everything you do, do it with all your heart. And he also says, well, 2 Timothy, I did not give you a spirit of timidity but one of power and strength, but self-control. Mm-hmm. Those are, I mean, I, I read those, I'm saying, okay, football is made to be physical. He wants me to do it wholeheartedly. So to play the game, I'm going to physically dominate you because God has given me the ability within the rules, I'm going to try to physically dominate you every game, every play. And that's my form of worshiping and thanking God for the gifts he's given me. No, oh, that's great. That's the approach I took playing the game, and that's the approach I take with life. I mean, I want to, you know, now I have a, a foundation for 18 years. I have a couple of small companies. I mean, I was behind the eight ball. 13 years I'm in the league. Guys and gals that I graduated from college with, they had 13 years jump on me in the business, right? All the business. So now I, I've been training and playing football. I went to real estate school, sold some houses. I did, but not 13 years without any business experience. Now... 
I'm getting into the non-for-profit world. I got a corporate apparel company. I got another. So I got to learn. I got to. I got to stay on. I got to get mentors. You know, business mentors, spiritual mentors, and and that's what God has shown me that uh, you know I need a team that's gonna you know. Really, just like I had my head coach that put the team strategy together, I had an offensive coordinator, and then I had an offensive line coach. And they're the guys that developed the offensive line coach for 13 years. I had this, he's the guy that developed me technically. So, what's the difference between being developed technically as an offensive tackle and being developed as a husband, a father, a businessman, a non for profit man? I mean, that's. So that's how I took the atti- that's the attitude I took on the football field that you know football is not I, I played flag football as a kid. All right? So I was over just grabbing flags. Now I started playing tackle football as a freshman in high school. Now tackle is contact sport. So that's that's the approach I took when I was playing football. The stories are everywhere. People who have had success in the NFL their life crumbles afterwards. Many people your life has not crumbled. Your life um, seems to be going pretty darn well. Tell us about what's going on in your life. What are, what are the initiatives you're involved in right now? And do you think these are your best days? You know, I'm excited about what's going on now. I'm very thankful. Uh, you know, I'm 60 years old. I've been retired for 25 years. My last camp, I was 35. Uh, I went into broadcasting because I did high school radio for seven years while I was playing. And that led to a job with Fox Sports Broadcasting. Did that until the kids were getting ready to go to college. Uh, But the thing I'm most thankful for and excited about is using the platform in a positive way. I tell people that, you know, it's very easy to think about because I love Montana. I said, Dee, let's get like a cabin, go to Montana, and we just kind of, you know— fish and learn how to fish, I should say, and just enjoy the wilderness. But it was like God grabbed me and said, I got a lot of things for you to do, a lot of exciting things. I said, I'm there uh, from being involved. And the first thing was staying here in Cincinnati. I had a job offer six days after my last game to go back to L.A. Our kids were 9-11. My wife, after her dad retired from the Army, she settled in Southern California, right where I settled or where I grew up. But we said, thanks, but no thanks. We fell in love with Cincinnati, fell in love with the people. We talk about the people first. We want to raise our family here. So I did a little broadcasting, but then when the kids went off to college, I left broadcasting to watch them play, and then I started doing other things. And one of them was the foundation. I wanted to use a platform and really honor those people that poured into my life. You know, not having a dad, mom working two, three jobs. We didn't have the finances to do a lot of things. So I had coaches, teachers, and uncles that stepped in, organizations that gave me opportunities. I said, man. If they wouldn't have been there, I would have missed out a lot on a lot of things growing up. So I want to build a team and continue to build a team because there's a lot of talented young men and women that might not have the finances, might not have the self-esteem, might not have the love that they should have. And we want to build a team to give them that because, I mean, they're excelling in school, excelling in this, but they're going through this amazing adversity. Uh, so that's what I, I wake up every morning trying to figure out how can we impact more young people in this great community. And of course, eight years ago, after about 10 years of the foundation here, we started working across the country, doing uh, fan development, character initiatives with young people around the country. We've been in 27 NFL cities. We've been, we're going to Mexico City for the fifth year in seven years to do the same thing. So... You know, with a little bit of business I've been doing with our corporate apparel company and the agency, I'm learning that. 
But the non-for-profit, and there's so many great groups out there that I've been able to be involved with, not only during my playing career, but even after I played. And now that I have my foundation, I still kind of venture out and try to help other groups in this community because so many people are doing so many great things. So uh, so you mentioned corporate apparel. What is corporate yeah. apparel? Well, anything you can put your logo on, you know, portfolios and cups and pencils and, you know, we, we just focused on coming to companies and saying, hey, we can bring you wearables, uniforms, T-shirts, great polos, you know, whatever you need. Also, all your, um, your promotional items. Let's, let's really build your company through your promotional items. So that's what we're doing. Munoz Brands, Brands with the Z. Uh, we're about 11 years old now. Uh, so we're doing that. Very lean staff. We got some great clients like American Financial, Skyline Chile, UC, UC Health. And that stimulates you the way it the does. Other- you know, you know why? Why? Because I'm competing. Uh, if I meet with Brian Tome and I, I want a PO, I know that there's other companies that are. So we we got not only provide hopefully the best price, best customer service. We got to deliver, and that's all I want. I want to get in the door, present our company, present what. We, so. It's a form of competing. Let's talk about competing. Yeah. This is a deep well here. That um, what what is about competition that really works for some of us? Why? why I, I admit I feel dirty when I say I like competition. I do. I I I, I don't know what it is, but there there's something there. And I've talked with enough people who they left sports, whatever sport it was, women's soccer. Pro football, they said they missed the competition. What is that, do you think? To me, the competition, I have a lot of young people that are working for us. So as the guy that heads up this company, I'm thinking about them and their families. That's where I was playing with the Bengals. It was me and my family. I had to provide. I had to play as long as I could. Now it's about the team I have. I don't know if I'm a good leader, but I want to I lead these guys to be the best, close as many deals, raise as much money for the foundation, because I know it's going to help them out. For me, I don't think it's competition defined as you lost. I think it's more tactile, tangible feeling of knowing I'm going in the right direction, of knowing I'm better now than I was before, of knowing that, well, something has to happen. I mean, Apostle Paul says, don't you know that in a race, everyone runs, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Not run in such a way so as everyone can be a winner. (laughs) No, no. You have a lane that you're going to be in. You need to run in such a way that you win. There's there's, there's actual competition in a spiritual formation metaphor. Uh, I still don't fully understand that. That's why I'm asking you, like, what what else does that mean to you? You know, to me, it was when I competed, I gave it everything I had. I mean, I wanted to blow my tank I wanted to make sure that I had no regrets of when I was competing. Uh, and most of the time it meant that, you know, I either had a bag or two of IV after a game because I sweat so much that I would, you know, I was totally wasted as far as all my energy. You know, so I, I you know, to me, you know, people always ask, does God want you to win? Does God want this team? And to me, it's like God wanted me just to give everything I had and the the best effort, prepper, you know, preparing as well as I could, intensity, and just if we won, I mean, you you play to win. But the main thing for me with my faith was making sure that, you know, how many times do you hear a baseball player, I'm in a slump. 
well, God's going to get me out of it. And he's sitting in the bench, you know, eating sunflower seeds. If I was in a slump, God gave me the ability to go down and underneath the stadium and take about 100 cuts with the batting, you know, with the pitching machine. Or if I was struggling in pass pro, I'm going to stay after practice and take, a, you know, 10, 20, 30 pass sets to make sure I – so we need to do our part. We just can't, you know – got to work it out, you know, and just run in right after practice and not practice. So I think, you know, we need to do our part and really make sure that we prepare and that we're ready. Yeah, I just think the competition thing, the people who poo-poo it probably have a more holistic problem with aggression, of going for something, of pushing yourself for something, of taking something, of of, of, of getting out there beyond the normal. Uh, I, I think a lot of these things we've not valued and I'm one guy, I'm one guy who's just saying your life was meant for something more than norm. Your life was meant for something more than sitting on your rear endus. You know, it's, I agree. you've got, you have to push, you have to push. And if competition is something that helps you elevate your game in your marriage, great. I, mean, I know for me, my marriage has been at its worst moments when I wasn't to use this phrase we're using now competing, when I wasn't pushing for it, when I was just saying, well, I love her and she loves me and neither one of us are going to really make any mistakes that are going to be tragic. When we're just doing that, it's not good enough. I mean, we have to be yeah. pushing to try to win in our marriage or yeah. it's not going to happen. And I think a key phrase earlier, you said progressing, getting better. And that's what, you, well, that's what happens when you compete. I mean, if I didn't get better in competing, I wouldn't have lasted 13 years. So, you know, my rookie, I was 21. You know, you're a young guy. You have to prove yourself. Now, all of a sudden, I'm going into my last camp, and I'm 35. Now you got those young guys that are kind of nipping at your heels. You still have to compete, and if you want to, you know, play that last year. So yeah, I mean, I like how you say you got to progress. You got to get better, and that 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 happens when you're competing. Yeah. Well, Anthony Munoz, in case somebody wants to follow you or find more about you, where could they go? Well, you can go to MunozFoundation.org, uh, or you. I'm not on social media other than. Uh, uh, you know, at Munoz, uh, Anthony Munoz, HOF. I'm on Twitter, and I just kind of follow a few things here and there. Uh, we do have, uh, you know, our Facebook at the Munoz Foundation. We have all the different, and they, they follow me pretty closely. So uh, I think that's good enough for me. I don't have to, you know, mess with all that. So Well, it's been awesome having you with us today. Our first Hall of Famer, our first of many counts. And, yeah, man, you, you've, you've taken us to a new level today. Thanks for your well, time, appreciate brother. Appreciate the time. Enjoyed it. Well, we've just completed our first 10-week run of The Aggressive Life. From everything that we can measure in here, it sounds like things are going pretty well. We want to keep them going well, which is exactly why we're not going to do anything for two weeks. That's right. We're going to take a rest. We're going to take a break. We'll be back in two weeks with a fresh run. And uh, you can see more at bryantome.com or search me on Instagram. Special thanks to the band Judges for our music. The Aggressive Life with Brian Tome is a production of Crossroads Church, Cincinnati, Ohio. Ohio.